from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Thank you, Martin. Uh, good evening, uh, Minister, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, friends and colleagues. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here this evening, and let me first take a moment to pass my personal congratulations uh, to the recipients of tonight's uh, Royal Air Society Awards. Uh, I'm honoured uh, to be invited here uh, to give the Royal Air Society Wilburn Orville Wright Lecture, uh, and I'm sure that any fellow would feel the same, uh, but I have to say that it's with tremendous pride that I stand here and address you this evening. As a youngster, uh, I designed, built and flew radio control model aircraft on the moors above Inverness. And I developed a passion for aircraft and engineering in general. And I had no idea then uh, that that would lead to a career in aeronautical engineering and defence and to become a fellow and ultimately to be invited to give this prestige lecture. So thank you very much. Uh, and that theme of laying the ground for the future is one that I'm going to come back to a number of times tonight. Uh, I lead, as Martin says, uh, the UK defence businesses of BA Systems. It's a fantastically privileged position from which to see an incredible range of engineering and manufacturing feats being undertaken every day. Let me just uh, move that on. Uh, being undertaken every day by our employees, uh, by our suppliers, and by our partners in order to equip and safeguard our customers, the military, as they go about their most difficult job. Before delving into the topic of the UK military air sector of today and tomorrow, it's probably worth spending just a few moments considering the historical context, although I shan't be going back quite as far as the Wright brothers. Uh, the military air sector uh, in the UK has changed dramatically over the last few decades, especially when you consider what many would see as the glory days of the 50s and 60s. Um, this is most notable in terms of the number of aircraft types that were introduced into service. For example, uh, the 1960s saw the introduction of many new types, including the Harrier, the Nimrod, uh, the Sea King, the Strike Master, the amazing Bristol Belvedere, the Twin Rotor Helicopter, the Andover, the Belfast, and uh, saw the development of the TSR-2. And with such a wealth of programmes, it provided a fantastic foundation for what is a highly successful industry that we see today which provides the UK with, of course, the military capability for its armed forces, but also a huge economic contribution, success in the international market, and the strong geopolitical relationships and military alliances that can be cemented with that, and a return on investment for those choosing to invest in the companies and industries involved. In short, a world-class military aircraft sector which is at the forefront of platform development, of manufacturing technology, of engines, radars, electronic warfare, ejection seats, and so on and so on. And compare that 1960s list with the first decade of this century, which saw Typhoon and Lynx Wildcat enter service. The Nimrod MRA-4 came very close to entering service, and there were a few demonstrator aircraft, some of which get a mention tonight, in the same period. All tremendous programmes and achievements in their own right, but clearly far fewer in number. And as the programmes become increasingly complex, and in many cases uh, more expensive, this trend of fewer new start programmes 
will likely continue. This presents the whole industry with a challenge of sustaining and exercising the skills that are necessary for the possible subsequent programmes. And this is a theme that I'll explore as I talk to you this evening. Of course, the military sector doesn't exist in isolation. The clue's in the name, military. It's customers, both domestic and international, the users of the products and the reason for the existence of the industry. As an industry, we must also be focused on the threats and challenges our customers face now and will likely face in the future. And that challenge is primarily one of increasingly contested, congested and chaotic environments. And there needs to be and created a robust military capability to counter that, which is agile, adaptable and affordable, words you'll hear quoted in many, uh, many circles. There will likely be uh, distinct changes in the character of aerial combat and conflict. And the triggers for that will likely be the end of Western aerial dominance as states such as China and Russia deploy sophisticated stealth capabilities. Ubiquitous sensors and network-enabled information flows, the weaponization of space, operational use of hypersonic speeds, and operational use of directed energy weapons. Perhaps less transformative, but still important developments that will prompt change will include advances in radar and other sensing systems to counter stealth advantage, advances in materials and manufacturing technologies, increases uh, in the advanced capabilities of missiles in both China and Russia, the development of proficient UAV capabilities in China and Russia, and the greater use of unmanned combat air vehicle capabilities in general. And then the general challenge, if all that wasn't enough, of satellite-free navigation and countering GPS jamming. Just as important is the political environment in which our customers and the industry operate. There is today a political will in the UK to protect our national interests and those of our allies at home and overseas. But there's also a debate about how best to do this, and there is not a unified view on the matter. Our politicians are expected to somehow demonstrate the wisdom of Solomon as they determine how best to prioritise the use of the taxpayers' money. Defence spend is seen as an insurance policy and stands alongside the immediate needs of education, health and welfare. In the last few weeks, we've been given a clear indication, a clear direction from the government with the publication of the National Security Strategy and the 2015 Strategic Defence and Security Review. And industry really values the certainty that this brings all of this has to be seen in the context of evolving global trends that impact our defence posture, our national economics, and the choice of our trading partners and allies. Growth in other nations' spending on defence, aligned with an appetite for industrialisation in some cases, provides significant opportunity for the UK industry. The UK political appetite for the use of military response in a crisis is, of course, influenced by how voters feel about the use of force. It's often increasingly a matter of how that force is going to be delivered as well. To me, a UAV, an uninhabited air vehicle, uh, presents a way to achieve military effect 
without putting members of our armed forces in harm's way. I know that human decision makers are in charge of the process from beginning to end. Some others apparently envisage a killer drone, a robot devoid of responsibility for its actions, and some commentators like to present it in this way to make a point. This issue will have to be resolved if our politicians are to make balanced decisions about the use of this nascent technology. The major defence programmes in land, sea and air span decades. The political cycle is shorter and this creates the potential for tears in the fabric that hold together the industrial capability that in turn underpins our national military capability. The continuity of knowledge and skill that is critical for our sector is a key issue that we have to keep our eye on. As a leader of a major part of the UK defence and aerospace sector, I feel very keenly the need to protect and enhance the skill and knowledge of our industry. This view has to be about the sector and not just the single company that I work for. The truth about BA Systems is that it's only as strong as the performance of its supply chain, and that is some 7,000 companies in the UK, 2,500 of which are small and medium-sized enterprises. The sustainment of skills and development of technologies is the lifeblood that keeps the sector healthy and able to offer compelling propositions to the market. And that's only possible if the skills are exercised on real programmes and at the cutting edge. The UK should be very proud of its level of participation. Its industry is secured in the F-35 programme. Positions were won, indeed earned, on, the, on this major programme on the basis of what was offered not on the basis of the UK commitment to 138 aircraft. The military aircraft team at BA Systems in the UK produced the rear fuselage and vertical and horizontal tails, as well as having the responsibility for the design and development of a number of significant systems. The continuous serial production of F-35 forms part of the strategic mix that our businesses in the UK will plan on and have hopes on for the years and decades to come. With fewer and fewer domestic programmes in the UK, it's increasingly important that the UK industry wins the part to play in those programmes. Securing an international footprint by establishing overseas partnerships and collaborations also helps us to sustain and grow skills in the UK. Today, for example, only 35% of BA Systems turnover is in the, market, the defence market in the UK. But when it comes to major national programmes, if we miss a beat and if we have to sit out for a generation of product development, the chances are we'll not survive to compete the next time round. We're all seized by this issue. The development of the skills in the aerospace and defence sector is a long-term proposition. And it's one of the reasons that I said that industry values the certainty that's afforded to us by the Strategic Defence and Security Review. Specifically, that review helps us to plan our future workforce with increased, confi increased confidence that an apprentice who starts training with, uh, with us this year will have a career ahead of them in the years and decades to come. And similarly, the graduates who join us 
across our businesses are attracted by the prospect of participating in the most advanced and demanding aerospace projects. There's a significant job to do to ensure that the pipeline of young engineers is able to feed the demand of our sector. And industry, government and the engineering professional bodies such as the Royal Aeronautical Society must act to inspire and develop the next generation of our workforce. One hallmark of a strong future air sector will be industry's ability to work closely with the UK government. This will be particularly important when it comes to the matter of securing success in the international market. An example of where we see great strides being made is that of the Typhoon Export campaigns and the associated capability development. Government and industry are working ever more closely to secure the international sales and recognising the economic impact of the industry, the importance of securing orders to sustain skills and the strategic importance of international defence links. This sort of government support is also a prerequisite for success in selling future combat air systems beyond Typhoon. With Typhoon now expected to be in UK service until at least 2040, it will be necessary and important to ensure that the capabilities continue to grow over that time. Continued investment in Typhoon makes it operationally relevant to existing customers out to 2040, but it also makes it relevant and mature for new export customers. This work will be the mainstay of engineering development work in the sector in this decade and the next, but it does not exercise the skills that are necessary for the fundamental design and configuration development of the front end of the life cycle. Future capability growth on Typhoon will likely include new weapons, upgraded avionics, systems and sensors, as well as a commitment to an ever-improving approach to in-service support. 2015 has been a fantastic year of firsts in the Typhoon development programme. We had our first release of the Storm Shadow. We also had the first guided missile firing of Meteor. We did our night trials on the amazing Striker 2 helmet. And we progressed the integration of the electronically scanned radar, the e-scan radar. And this is indicative of the scope of capability improvements for this already world-class platform and also demonstrates the appetite of its customers to expand the role for the future. Across the UK air domain, there's also been a great shift in the last 10 years in terms of industry presence at the operating bases with civilian personnel providing a much greater level of support to the frontline customer. And this is a trend that I think is likely to continue. Indeed, it benefits both parties. The customer community can focus their efforts on the most important facets of their operation and with the right measures in place, incentivize industry to improve aircraft availability and turnaround times. In turn, industry gain a valuable insight into customer operations and can work to improve the availability and reliability of the platforms and their systems accordingly, as well as ensuring learning is fed into the design and support of other products. 
Such collaborative and innovative approaches also create a common desire and environment to try new things, and most recently, on-base production of spares using 3D printing additive layer manufacture. Approaches to training are also changing, particularly as the quality of synthetic, and synthetic training improves. Again, closer working between industry and its customers helps to stimulate innovation, creating opportunities to develop skills on both sides of the team. The Defence Growth Partnership is actively encouraging industry players and governments to work together to achieve common goals, creating a coalition of the willing focused on strategic national, but most importantly, international opportunities. Of course, industry is only able to provide its customers with relevant products and services if we are proactive in identifying and developing concepts that can be turned into useful capabilities. Investing in future technologies is a key aspect of what we do in this sector. And one of the happy spin-offs is that investment in a technology is also usually investment in the skills of our scientists and engineers. Research budgets are, of course, constrained by affordability. There isn't an endless supply of money to do all the things we'd like to do. That's why it's important to invest in selected, carefully chosen technologies that enable the generation of new products and capability upgrades that will deliver military advantage. But it is easier said than done. And one of the questions that you would rightly have in your mind is, what have we been working on and how are we going to exercise those skills that generate an entirely new military aircraft product? Well, firstly, a glimpse at our unmanned capabilities. It's no secret that the future of military aviation will feature unmanned aircraft in some regard. Though, of course, uh, there remains uncertainty as to how soon such vehicles will replace the manned platforms in the most demanding combat roles. And certainly, there's always going to be a person in the loop with clearly defined rules of engagement. I think our national progress and plans for the future in this field helps keep the UK at the forefront of these emerging technologies. Most of you will be aware of Tyrannus, our technology demonstrator, named after the Celtic God of Thunder. It's a fantastic name, absolutely fantastic. I, some, I sometimes muse about what was going on in the marketing room at Airbus uh, when uh, perhaps they were on an away day, a management away day in Truro and named the A380 after the Truro bypass. Or they were in Woking and named the A320 after the Woking, road to Woking. But anyway, Tyrannus, Tyrannus, uh, technology demonstrator, first flew in 2013. I'm pleased to say uh, that it has now completed three phases of uh, flight demonstration, the third phase of testing completing just last month. And we continue to gain very valuable information regarding technologies that are being developed here and tested. Tyrannus is a terrific example of industry and government working together with an eye on the future. And it's been designed and built by BA Systems, Rolls-Royce, GE Aviation and Kinetic, working alongside the UK MOD military staff and scientists, as well as a significant number of UK suppliers, all of who provide supporting technology and components. And following the success of early company-funded demonstrator programs such as Kestrel, Raven seen here, and Corax, the contract for Tyrannus was placed, in fact, at the end of 2006. The aircraft was rolled out for its first limited-angle viewing just before the Farnborough Air Show 
in 2010, and since then has conducted a series of ground-based trials and flight tests, and we've met all the programme test objectives and more, and learned a whole lot along the way. Uh, the programme, which is jointly funded by the UK MOD and UK industry, has demonstrated the ability of the UK industry to develop the critical technologies for the next generation of combat air systems, manned or unmanned. And these include the design of uh, design and operation of high-integrity safety-critical systems in uninhabited vehicles, uh, the design, build and support of very low observable air vehicles uh, as they relate to airframe, uh, to complex control law design, uh, the advanced full authority digital flywire control system controlling what is essentially an unstable configuration, uh, the sensor integration, the power plant integration and the communications technologies in hostile environments, all as they relate to low observability along with refining the engineering and manufacturing processes required to harmonise and deliver a UAV system that meets the customer's needs for the next generation of future combat air system. As we've said in previous briefings, Tyrannus is the most complex air system conceived, designed and built in the UK, with the results demonstrated through the ground testing flight trials. It's a real triumph for the UK military air sector. Over and above that, We've been proving the systems and performance of the air vehicle. And the testing has demonstrated the anticipated mission profile, and we've learned a lot from that. We've demonstrated automated taxi, takeoff, and transit to the area of interest. We navigate to a search area and search out targets. You can see on the aircraft here there are no visible air data probes, no pitot tube. And we use, in fact, a variety and a large array of pressure sensors embedded in the aircraft surface, which measure the static pressure distribution across the surface of the aircraft. And from this, we derive the speed, the Mach number, the incidence, the side slip, and the parameters we need to control that unstable aircraft in real time. The aircraft generates its own mission profile for the ingress, generates its own search pattern, and generates its egress profile as part of the mission. It goes through a sequence of target identification, target geolocation, generation of an attack profile, the simulated attack itself, and then battle damage assessment. And if instructed to do so, to re-attack and continue search. Eventually, it comes out of the area, the egress, and goes into a sequence with automatic landing and automatic taxi. The whole process is essentially under the control of the ground-based team, who are essentially the mission planners, giving instructions to the aircraft about what they want it to do, interacting with the aircraft, in terms of what it is learning and seeing along the way, but ultimately controlling what it is going to do. The onboard intelligence on the aircraft is able to actually take a whole lot of that workload away from the ground-based operators who are concentrating on achieving the mission.
project is a major technological stepping stone demonstrating the potential for the unmanned combat air system, just as Jaguar fly-by-wire and the experimental aircraft program were successful technology demonstrators paving the way for what is now Eurofighter Typhoon. A family of technology demonstrators, including Raven and now Tyrannus, are the major stepping stones for the next generation of products to be produced for the UK or by the UK military aerospace industry. Um, along the way, uh, we've also been conducting a series of flight trials using uh, a jet stream test aircraft. Uh, in the UK, under the command of ground-based pilots and under the control of NATS air traffic controllers, uh, we've been performing a number of flights, most notably from Wharton in the northwest of England to Inverness and back. Uh, and the aim is to develop uh, the approach uh, to allow us uh, routine and safe flying of unmanned aircraft in UK airspace. Whilst much of the attention on unmanned technologies focuses on the idea of unmanned vehicles replacing today's manned platforms, I think they really should be viewed through the lens of adding capability to the manned platforms. And in the same way that we might physically integrate a new weapon or radar onto a manned platform, an unmanned vehicle can create an off-board capability enhancement. This might be in the form of additional weapon carrying capability, effectively creating a, a ride-along bomb bay with wings. It might also improve target identification and tracking by flying ahead of the manned platform into more dangerous environments, allowing the manned aircraft to, uh, essentially the mothership, to remain out of harm's way but still execute the mission. Stealth capability will remain an important aspect of combat jet design for the foreseeable future, and we continue to develop our knowledge and understanding of this topic with further developments in materials, design characteristics, and modelling. And if the effectiveness of stealth were to be impaired, then how could we protect our future aircraft? Well, one potential solution is to increase their speed and altitude to effectively render the aircraft too fast and too far from reach, from an enemy to for an enemy to engage very fast is likely to become the new stealth. I could talk at length about other emerging technologies that are showing their potential, and uh, I'll just mention a few of those in passing so that uh, you get a taste of uh, what we are what we're dealing with. Uh, one of them is uh, the whole issue of cyber resilience, uh, the ability for our aircraft to resist a cyber attack. Uh, advanced electronic warfare, uh, advanced sensors, including further e-scan development. And this amazing ability in e-scan uh, gives you the ability to uh, reveal moving targets on the surface, uh, to image land surfaces at uh, long range uh, through poor weather using synthetic aperture radar modes, whilst also keeping track on uh, where your enemy is and cooperating aircraft are in the same space. In manufacturing, uh, the use of robotics uh, will become increasingly commonplace uh, and increasingly in low-volume manufacture, including the concept of cobotics, uh, where humans will work in environments safely alongside robots without detriment to production line efficiency. Additive layer manufacture has been discussed and talked about widely in audiences such as this, uh, but we are working on additive layer manufacture with hard metals and uh, to good effect. 
The whole concept of computing uh, the ultimate building blocks, Lego bricks at a molecular level, uh, building new materials, self-healing materials, uh, mimicking biological systems, offering the potential to self-repair aircraft structures, providing the repair material to the point of need, um, through tiny fluid-filled tubes, carbon nanotubes that are in part uh, part of the aircraft structure. Uh, as a company, we experimented with this successfully over a decade ago and still believe it has huge potential. Advanced weapons, uh, in particular directed energy, uh, poses a threat to both platforms and kinetic weapons, but also, if you can master them, uh, presents a huge opportunity due to its high position, precision and notionally speed of light engagement. And these aspects are increasingly important if targets are more mobile, fleeting, in cluttered environments where all we can do is to work to uh, ensure that we neutralize just the target that we wish to neutralize. The whole issue of connectivity is important as well, uh, where we're able to communicate and hence cooperate for tactical advantage with other aircraft and aircraft assets. Shall I see if I can move this to the right spot? No, it's not touch screen. We should be on the virtual reality picture. There we go. Thank you very much. Uh, augmented reality is one of the technologies that uh, we are investing heavily in. Uh, it proves and provides the opportunity to revolutionize uh, how we design products and how we manufacture products and indeed how we conduct training and can be used to differentiate products offered by uh, the British industry. Using wearable devices, uh, we can uh, eliminate much of the physical and replace it with the virtual. We can reduce the cost of change in the design process, and we can provide an intuitive interface. Uh, we can improve situational awareness by providing an interactive 3D view of the battle space, allowing faster and better decisions to be made, as well as establishing command centers wherever they're required, uh, with much improved interfaces between the different parties involved. Other technologies worthy of mention uh, synthetic training, uh, advanced data management, the whole idea of big data, exploiting vast amount of data uh, that we already have in many cases, but may, finding uh, the ability to spot the patterns in those which are not easily discernible to us human beings, and from that generating actionable intelligence and information. And of course, quantum computing, a revolution in computing set for the 2020s, providing the ability to solve problems orders of magnitude faster and offering tantalizing promise of being able to solve previously intractable issues uh, in decrypting or encrypting and in advanced modeling, including aerodynamic and electromagnetic systems. Uh, and finally, on my list of uh, great things for the future, um, one significant technology investment uh, that we at BA Systems have made recently uh, which has made a bit of a splash in the media is our most recent investment in Reaction Engines Limited. As part of our commitment to investing in and developing emerging technologies, as well as the broader industry trend of developing collaboration with small and medium-sized enterprises, we announced a strategic investment and working partnership with Reaction Engines. This exciting partnership will see us accelerate the development of Reaction Engines' air-breathing rocket engine, a groundbreaking new class of engine with the potential to bring sustained hypersonic flight within reach and reset the economics of space access. Our principal reason for investing in this technology is the promise of a step change in the economics of satellite launch. 
And the media, of course, explored the story by pointing to the hypersonic commercial travel with the headline, London to Sydney in four hours. And this is a real example of us taking a long-term view uh, of our company and the market in general and investing in our shareholders, sorry, investing our shareholders' money in the future of the sector. So that's just a few of the exciting things that the industry team is up to. Beyond our existing successful international collaborative programs of Tornado, Typhoon and F-35, uh, we continue to recognise the reality that our future will not be as a standalone UK military aviation industry and we embrace the whole idea of international collaboration. Some particular examples that BA Systems is currently involved in demonstrate this internationally minded approach to development of new capability. The Anglo-French UCAV has featured here in the picture and as mentioned specifically in the recent Strategic Defence and Security Review. Uh, the recently formed joint venture between BA Systems and the Turkish company Neural and the potential for our involvement in the Turkish new fighter programme TFX. BA Systems and Hindustan Aeronautics, HAL, have signed an agreement to develop an advanced combat hawk which will provide advanced lead in fighter training and light combat capability. A further opportunity is that in the United States for the replacement of the US Air Force's T-38 aging trainer aircraft with the TX program, where BA Systems is teamed with Northrop Grumman. This is likely to become one of the world's largest military aircraft programs uh, as it would satisfy the requirement to train the significant number of pilots required for a huge, a huge fleet of F-35s worldwide. And BA Systems is teamed, as I say, with Norfolk Grumman and L3 in the US to develop a new aircraft for this competition. So to conclude, there's a leadership role to ensure that the UK remains a strong global player in the military aircraft sector. And this will not happen by default. It will take effort from all of those involved. The UK industry will compete to provide the major programmes for the Royal Air Force and the Air Forces of the UK's allies. Industry needs to work closely with the UK government if we are to realise our opportunities at home and overseas. And the UK industry players need to work together to make the best of the strength we have, the Defence Growth Partnership being a very good vector that allows that to happen. And we'll collaborate with industries of other nations and form entirely new partnerships reflecting the realities of the new political, military, economic and industrial landscape in which we operate. And we must continue to invest to ensure we've identified and matured the promising technologies needed to underpin our future market offerings. And we will also act to inspire, recruit and develop the next generation of engineers so that we can meet the resourcing demands of this amazing future market. Only by doing all of these things will we earn our place in this demanding and crucial market for our future. Thank you for listening to me this evening and I'll be happy to answer questions before we go through for the reception. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nigel. Uh, we, we do have time for some questions. I'd uh, be grateful if you could state your name and your affiliation, uh, and also if questions can be short and to the point.
from across the globe, from the center of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favorite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.